Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not only look or not each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Let's pray. Dear Lord, our Father, God, I pray for our church right now. Lord, I pray as Paul wrote this letter to the church at Philippi, Lord, that, that we would hear the instructions that are given. That we would seek humility, Lord. That we would run away from pride, Lord, and, and through that we would have the mind of Christ to put others before ourselves, to, to serve others, to be a slave towards others within this local body, within Country Oaks, Lord, to a point that, that we are one soul one in spirit, having the same love, which is your love, Lord, that we would, we would act and react in the love that you have shown us, Lord, to one another so that we would be unified as a church. God, this is my prayer for this local church. As we see opposition and challenges coming our way from the culture, Lord, that we would stand side by side, striving for the faith of the gospel. And then we do that in humility. God, I pray for humility in my life. God, if there's pride in my heart, Lord, I pray you show it to me and help me walk away from it. Continuing, obviously, where we left off last week, Paul, again, is addressing this church, this church that he loves so much, a church that loves him so much, the church at Philippi, and he's pleading with them to be unified. There's not much that we see in the New Testament, in the book of Philippians. Uh, there's not much that we see that, that the church at Philippi has wrong, going, things that they have wrong thinking or doing things wrong. In fact, it seems to be a very healthy church. Uh, when we look at this letter that Paul's writing to. But if there was one thing that, that Paul was worried about when it came to this church, it was unity. It was unity. And we'll see that as we move on in this letter. So he, he gives, right off the bat in this letter, he gives the church three things about unity. He gives them the motivation for unity. In other words, the why, why the church should be unified. He gives the substance uh, to unity or substance of unity the what 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 is unity and finally he gives the the way to unity very practical uh, on how 
we can take steps to be unified or how the church at Philippi could take steps to be unified. Now, last week we, we spent the whole sermon looking at the motivation for our unity and we saw that the Trinity and, and the gospel and, and the Trinity's role in the gospel is foundational to the church's unity. We are to honor the Trinity by being unified as a body. Today we're going to look at the second two points, uh, the substance of our unity and the way to unity. And before I get started, I just want to remind you of what I said last week. The, the book of Ephesians, I preached through that uh, a number of years ago. And the book of Ephesians talks about unity in a number of different subjects. But, but a lot of times in the book of Ephesians, it's talking to the church universal. This letter was written to a local church. Paul is challenging a local group of believers. And therefore, I, I am telling us as Country Oaks, through Paul's challenge to the church at Philippi, this is his challenge to us as a local body, as a church, as Country Oaks. This is not talking about church universal. There's implications there, don't get me wrong. But this is talking about church local, us. So here's Paul's challenge to us this morning. So let's start with the substance of our unity, the substance of our unity. And I love how Paul starts verse 2. He says this, complete my joy. Now, Paul's already given the theological foundation and reason for the church to be unified. And he, he looks at the Trinity, he, he brings in the gospel, and that should be our motivation. But, but then he adds something that, as really a, a pastor, and, and I know Paul was an a, apostle, and so he wasn't the pastor of the church at Philippi, but we see his shepherding heart in these three words. Remember, Paul wrote this letter because he knew this church that he loved so much had concerns about him. And he starts this letter telling them, don't con be concerned about me. I'm completely joy-filled because I see God working through, through my persecution and imprisonment. But he knows this church loves him so much that he uses that and he says, complete my joy. Literally, fill my joy up until it's overflowing. Well, how is the church supposed to do that? Complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. He gives us four things, four things that make up the substance of church unity. Being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Now, there are four things mentioned here, but but in reality, uh, th there's really this idea that everything flows out of the main verb in the sentence, which is clear in Greek. The main verb is being of the same mind, being of the same mind. Everything else flows from being of the same mind. So let's start here. Uh, uh, being of the same mind. The Greek word for mind is phroneo, phroneo. It's the same exact word Paul uses at the end of the verse when he says being in full accord and of one mind. So this obviously is important because he begins this verse and ends this verse with the same exact word. In fact, out of the 26 times this word is used in the New Testament, Paul uses it 23 times. So this is a word that Paul loves, but, but out of the 26 times it's used in the New Testament, 10 of the times Paul uses it here in the book of Philippians. Meaning one-third of the time this word is used in the New Testament, it's used in this one small book, the book of Philippians. This is absolutely an important word to Paul, and that's because unity 
is so important to Paul. And the substance of the church's unity is being of the same mind. Again, the local church. The substance of our unity as a church is being of the same mind. Now, the word proneo is a, it's an interesting word because it doesn't translate well into English. In fact, it's translated all different ways. You can tell when a word doesn't translate well into English because you'll see it translated so many different ways. I've seen it translated feel, attitude, a, a number of different ways. But, but it literally means something like to, to think the same way or to, to be like-minded or maybe even better, to, to have the same attitude of thought, like this idea of attitude of how you think. Therefore, the word has less to do with, with what one is thinking about or what a church is thinking about and more to do with how one thinks. It's a way of thinking. It's a mindset. It's an attitude that, that guides our thinking as individuals within a church. Meaning, mindset may be the best way of understanding this verb, uh, unity within a church comes from a particular mindset. And it's out of this mindset that the rest of the verse flows. So being of the same mind, having the same love. This is, when you, we are of the same mind, we, we have the same love. Now, this is not, uh, this is uh, very similar to, to being of the same mind, having the same love. It, it's not about loving the same thing. It's having the same love. It's possessing the same love. J.A. Mortier writes this. Paul does not say loving the same thing, but possessing the same love. What can this be but a love identical with God's love? His own love bestowed on us so that we act and react as he would do. We spent a lot of time last week talking about the Father's love. We as Christians who have been adopted into his family that, that have the spirit of God living within us, we're new creations. We, we possess this same love and we are to act and react as the Father would act and react out of love for one another. Therefore, being of the same mind is having the same love and being in full accord. Now, this is one word in Greek, being in full accord. It's four words in English, but one word in Greek, it, it literally means being one soul, one in spirit, united in spirit. It means the deepest part of who we are, our souls, our desires, our will, our thinking, our hearts, are to be united together in one accord. Now, that's a challenging a challenging thought to have a vast number of diversity and different people within a church having one soul but that's the calling that's what paul is challenging the church of philippi with again this is the substance of our unity unity is being in full accord john MacArthur writes this such unity involves deep and passionate concern for God's word, his work, his gospel, and his people. No two Christians, no, no matter what their level of spiritual maturity and knowledge of scripture, will, will understand everything exactly alike. But if they are controlled by humility and love, 
they will be genuinely united in spirit or one soul. They, they will not allow inconsequential differences to divide them or to hinder their service to the Lord. Again, one soul means not allowing inconsequential differences to divide us or to hinder our service to the Lord. Let me just ask a question. Is that you this morning? Are you letting inconsequential differences divide you or hinder your service to the Lord? Or are you one-souled with your brothers and sisters in Christ, so passionate about God's word, God's work, the gospel, God's people, so passionate about, about the kingdom and it advancing, so much so that you hold on to differences loosely? Are you one-souled in full accord with your brothers and sisters? doesn't mean you agree on everything. I talked about COVID last week. There was a lot of disagreement within our church, but I really felt like at the core, we were one-souled through the whole thing. We didn't like vaccinations or not vaccinations, just kind of where the, and there's different opinions in this church about that. This is the substance of church unity. Again, verse 2, being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, one soul, the church. And Paul ends this verse by saying, and of one mind. This is obviously important to Paul because he comes full circle, and he comes right back to where he started with the word proneo, mind, mindset, attitude of thinking. Just in case you forgot. This is, this is the main, main thing. Being of the same mind, everything flows out of this verse, or this, this phrase, being of the same mind. Everything else from the verse flows out of it. Our, our love, our oneness in spirit comes from, from a particular mindset. And just in case that's not clear, Paul reminds us at the end of the verse, and of one mind. Now here's my question, and and I do this a lot because this is what I do throughout the week. I get a passage, I start reading it, and then I just start asking all types of questions. In fact, I love doing this. I love asking questions, I, and then I try to figure out, okay, what's the answer? So here's my question. I see Paul use this word mind twice, and it's the same word. And so this is important, and everything in, in the structure of the sentence comes out of this, this one verb. What mindset? Is it just any mindset? As long as we agree? I mean, you see unity in organizations or false religions because they have the, the same mindset. So are, are we to just have the same mindset no matter what it is? Or is it a particular mindset? Well, of course the answer is it's a particular mindset. Well, what mindset? Well, thankfully Paul makes it extremely clear in verse 5. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. He says this. Have this mind. Same exact Greek word, proneo. Have this mind, or mindset. If you have the NASB, I think it translates it attitude. Have this mind among yourself. As, as a church, we are, here's the substance of our unity. We are to have this mindset together, all of us which is yours in Christ Jesus. 
Paul is telling us exactly what he means when he uses that word mind by using Jesus as our example. We are to have this mindset. Look at verse 6. Though he was in the form of God, God the Son, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or, or held onto. In other words, he didn't demand to be treated as God. Instead, verse 7, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. That's doulos in the Greek. That's a slave. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself. Now, let that settle in. Meditate on that. The God of the universe who spoke everything into existence, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, who by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, the, the Son of God who was before all things, who in him all things hold together by the power of his word, humbled himself. any of us be prideful. Same person within the Godhead humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He put others before himself. He humbled himself. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, a slave, that mindset it's that mindset that leads to unity within the church that's the substance of unity could you imagine if we truly follow Jesus' example now look I think Country Oaks is a very mature church and I just I brag on us all the time and I do it to you guys but if we truly had this mindset, this way of thinking, even if we disagreed, we had this way of thinking, if we loved each other in humility and sacrificially like Jesus did, if we, we truly had this mind, we would have the same love. We would be in one accord, one soul, one spirit. There would be absolutely no division over small, insignificant issues within the church. That's the substance of unity. The mindset, the attitude of Christ. Which leads to my third point. We have the way, or the why of unity, the, the motivation for unity. That's the why. We saw that last week. We have the substance of unity. That's the what, what unity is, the, the mindset of Christ. Then Paul gets really practical. In fact, in, in chapter 2, 1 through 4, he, he, verse 1 through 4, he starts very abstract and he gets more and more practical. In fact, by the time you get to verse 4, it's just extremely practical. He gives us the how of unity, the way to unity. Now, verses 3 and 4 are parallel verses, and I think verse 3 really gets to the how of unity, and then verse 4 is just practical 
way of doing it from verse 3. They're parallel verses. Let me just read them. I think you'll see it. But verse 3, it says this. Uh, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Then verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. It's very practical, verse 4. Again, verses 3 and 4 are parallel verses. In fact, in both verses, you have a negative command or a negative uh, statement and a positive command, a positive statement. A negative command meaning don't do this, right? A positive, do this. So uh, don't do this. Look at verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, right? Don't be selfish and, and full of conceit. Right? Verse 4, it says, let, let each of you look not only, that's the negative, not only to his own interest. Then you have a positive side of these verses. Do this. Verse 3. Count others more significant than yourself. And then verse 4, but also look, in other words, but also look to the interest of others. That's the positive side of verse 4. So let's start by looking at verse 3, and then we'll get down to the very practical application of verse 3 and verse 4. But let's look at verse 3, and let's start with the negative command. It says this, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Now, selfish ambition just means being selfish. Pretty simple. It's listed first, I believe, because selfishness and pride are at the root of every sin. So Paul lists it first. Putting yourself first before God and before others is at the root of all sin. And not surprisingly, it's the opposite of the greatest and the second greatest commandment, right? Think about that. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself, to love others as yourself. Therefore, selfishness is the opposite of that. The two greatest commandments teach us to, to, to humble ourselves. Humble ourselves by loving God more than ourselves. And to humble ourselves by counting others as more significant. Therefore, we should do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Now, I love the Greek word that's translated conceit here. It's just a, it's just a great word. It's, it's actually two words put together, and, and it's this. Empty glory. Empty glory. In fact, the King James translates this vain glory, but I, I just really like empty glory. Empty glory. In other words, when you glorify yourself, it's empty. It, it'll lead to emptiness. It's empty glory. It's not lasting. The Bible makes that clear. It's empty. You'll end up empty if you're all about your glory. If you're selfish, you'll end up empty. Paul says in verse 3, Do nothing from selfish ambition or empty glory or vainglory, or how the ESV translates it, conceit. But in humility, Count others more significant than yourselves. Now, counting others more significant than yourselves absolutely goes against our sinful nature, right? We don't do this by default. It's, it's only by God's grace that we will count others more significant than ourselves. Our flesh always wants to put ourselves first others second and God last that's the 
condition of this unregenerate heart, spiritually dead man. Self first, other second, God left. That's a fleshly nature. That's how it operates. Our flesh by nature is selfish. But this is not the mindset of Christ. This is not the attitude of Jesus. Jesus didn't exalt himself. Instead, he put God first. John 6, 38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Over and over again, Jesus put his Father's will first. Just think of the Garden of Gethsemane. Not my will, but yours be done. After his father, he put others second. Mark 10, 45 says this, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And listen, because he became a servant himself last by sacrificing his life so others may live and that's what Paul's about to tell us Philippians 2 8 again and being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross again verse 3 do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility Count others more significant than yourself. That's the mindset of Jesus. That's the way to be loved. That's the way to be loved. We are to count others more significant than ourselves. We are to count others' opinions more significant than our opinions. We are to humble ourselves. And we see the same mindset repeated in verse 4. This just gets super, super practical. Paul just ends with very practical Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's how we should be operating as a church. Now, I'm very thankful for the word also in there. It tells me that that we are supposed to take care of ourselves. It's not asceticism. It's not, not, I need to eat. I need to sleep. I need to work. I'm called to take care of my family. That's okay. But we should always be more concerned with others' interests over our own. Therefore, Paul gives this very practical command in verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. The growth group questions this challenge in the questions, and I'll challenge you with this right now. How could you practically do that this week? Think, how could I put the interest of others over my my own? Because this is the way to unity. We are to have the mindset of Christ by putting others before ourselves. That again is the way to unity. Now before we move on, there's one more thing I need to point out in verse 3. There's one word that's so important that we need to spend some time on it. It's a word that ties everything together. In fact, literally, verse 3, it ties the negative command to the positive command. It's what connects the two, and it's the word humility. 
So look at verse 3. It says, do nothing from, from selfish ambition or conceit. That's negative. But then it says this, but in humility, this is what connects the positive, count others more significant than yourself. It's an important word in that verse, and, and it's highlighted, and you see it's an important word in chapter 2. And what's interesting about this word, humility, is, is that you, you can't find this word anywhere in Greek literature before the New Testament. It literally means lowliness of mind. Now think about that. What's Paul been talking about? Mind. If I was to translate this like absolutely literally as possible, it wouldn't be humility. It would be lowliness of mind which connects to the rest of the passage the mindset of christ is lowliness of mind to think lowly of oneself now this word in its noun form is not found in any extra biblical greek literature before the second century meaning a lot of scholars believe that paul actually made this word up lowliness of mind and he did this because the, the Romans and Greek culture despised the idea of humility. They, they thought, saw that as weakness. No one should have lowliness of mind or lowliness of oneself. They didn't even have a word for it. Paul had to make up a word. That's what many scholars believe. It wasn't until Christianity came that humility was seen as a virtue, not a vice. Listen, in a biblical worldview... Humility is foundational. We cannot even begin to please God without humility. So what is humility? What is lowliness of mind? Well, let me just point out a few things. This is not exhaustive, but just a couple things that popped to my mind, a couple passages. Uh, what is humility? It's the opposite of pride. 1 Peter 5, 5 says this, Likewise, you who are younger... Be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. You see a distinction there, a comparison. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. They're the opposite of each other. And I want you to hear that. God opposes the proud. Let that settle in. Humility is putting others before yourself. We saw that today. Philippians 2, 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Are we doing that as a church body? Are we doing that in our family relationships? Are we doing that in our marriages? Humility is something that Jesus modeled. Philippians 2.8, we saw this time and time again. And being found in human form, he humbled himself. Humility is something God blesses. Matthew uh, 5.3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, a form of humility. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 5 says this, Blessed are the meek, another form of humility, for, for there they shall inherit the earth. Listen, humility is key to church unity. Because lowliness of mind is the mindset that Jesus modeled. It's the substance of church unity. That's why Paul 
put humility in such a prominent place in verse 3. It's what ties the, the whole verse together. Do nothing from selfish ambition or, or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. One pastor put it this way. Humility is an ingredient of all spiritual blessings. Just as every sin has its roots in pride, every virtue has its roots in humility. Humility allows us to see ourselves as we are because it shows us God as he is. Just as pride is behind every conflict we have with other people and every problem of fellowship we have with the Lord, so humility is behind every harmonious human relationship, every spiritual success, and every moment of joyous fellowship with the Lord. Humility promotes unity. Humility promotes unity. In, in, in every relationship we have, it promotes unity. Job relationships, marriage, family relationships, the church. Humility promotes unity. Pride destroys it. That's why humility is such an important virtue, especially when it comes to church unity. And we're going to see this in the coming weeks as we continue in chapter 2 and we see the example of Christ who humbled himself. But as for today, these, these are the three points of our passage this morning and last week's morning. Sorry, I get long-winded. Um, the motivation for unity, which is the Trinity and the gospel. The substance of our unity is the mindset of Christ. And listen, the way to unity really can be summed up in one word. Humility. Now, I want to end with a quote. Because I thought this was helpful. The quote about humility, it's from Martin Lloyd-Jones. Because humility is a tricky thing, isn't it? Like, how do you say, I want to be more humble? As soon as you start succeeding in that, what happens? Become prideful about it. <laughs> or if you go, hey, I think I'm a pretty humble guy. What's that? So humility is a tricky thing, and I love what Martin Lloyd-Jones writes. Let me just read it. A friend was asking me the other day, how can I be humble? He felt there was pride in him, and he wanted to know how to get rid of it. He seemed to think that I had some patent remedy and could tell him, do this, do that, do the other, and you will be humble. I said, I have no method or technique. I can't tell you to get down on your knees and believe in prayer because I know you will soon be proud of that. There's only one way to be humble, and that is to look into the face of Jesus Christ. You cannot be anything else when you see him. That is the only way. Humility is not something you can create within yourself. Rather, you look at him, you realize who he is and, and what he has done, and you are humbled. Now, I'm guessing Martin Lloyd-Jones had Philippians in his mind when he wrote this. 
Because Paul is about to give us one of the most in-depth, poetic, beautiful, and humbling pictures of Jesus Christ in all of Scripture, starting in verse 5. In fact, it has always been somewhat of a dream of mine or a hope or something I've wanted to do to preach Ephesians 2 and this picture of Jesus during the Christmas season. I planned on doing that a number of Christmases and it's never happened. It just hit me this week that that's just where we're at next month. Jesus humbling himself, becoming incarnate, becoming a servant, emptying himself. What a beautiful picture and what what a beautiful picture that we can keep in mind this next month as a church. Paul knows that humility will, will bring unity. And he knows that the best way to be humbled is by looking at Jesus. And that's what we're going to be doing in the coming weeks. If you would, pray with me. we struggle so much with humility. And I say that because I look at my own heart and see so much pride. God, I pray that we would forget ourselves as we look into the face of Christ this next month. God, I know that Christmas brings so many different distractions and family events and presents and silly Christmas songs and movies and, and all the stuff that comes with Christmas, Lord. But, but I pray this next month we, we really reflect on, on Christ, the God of the universe, 